0: I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast. A podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Hi mate. We're going to do another one of these uh, icons and frauds. Uh, we did it a couple of weeks ago. Basically, these are these are people you've had dealings with, know about, and uh, sometimes n- known very well. And uh, some of them are wonderful people who've done wonderful things. Some of them had a bit of a, a shady uh, side to them. Uh, we did, I think, Jack Hamilton, Ron Walker, and Carla Zampatti, and Don Lane. Let's uh, let's do Nolene Brown. Now, okay. uh, Nolene Brown had a go at you, real go at you, when you claimed that uh, Graham Kennedy had died from AIDS all those years yeah,
1: ago. That was the argument, and that was not quite what I said. But look, just back up here. Nolene Brown's a fantastic person, great actress. Uh, very clever comedian. She did a sh- did a, a TV show uh, with Gordon Chater and uh, and a couple of others, and they were they were hilarious. They were real trail breakers on, on on comedy uh, on Australian television. They really were. And then Nolene um, became very friendly with me because she became one of the women on when I was the beast on Beauty and the Beast, and Nolene was one of my star performers because she was always very quick-witted, very clever, and you could bounce off her and feed off her, and it was terrific. Then, of course, um, along comes the story about uh, Graham Kennedy, and uh, he was very sick, uh, and he had pneumonia, and he was uh, up there in, 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 in near Barrel, I think, in, in, in country, Victoria, country New South Wales, and he had, um, Graham Blundell, actually, had written a story in the Australian saying that he had uh, Carpa- Carposi sarcoma, which are little black dots you get. If you if you're an AIDS victim, and I read this in the Australian about uh, about Kennedy that he had carposi carposi sarcoma, and then um, and then um, he was um, there was a, a book being being written and produced um, by the guy who used to be a sports reporter on Channel Nine. Uh, Rob Esprit, Rob Esprit, that's right. And Rob was writing a book and uh, it was being being um, produced by uh, or handled by somebody who I had a, had a PR company with that, uh, in Mount Macedon. And, and Rob got involved and, and then he sent me a copy of, of his script because he was a, an alleged uh, claim to be an ex-boyfriend of Graham Kennedy's uh, for some time. And he talked about how he used to go visit Graham at his mother's house and hidden in the boot of the car and things like this. Um, and, 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 and Rob had some hard times at 3 aw you know, being gay, uh, some of the, the old trenchant uh, and sports people at there A.W. weren't exactly that friendly, but anyway, he sent me a copy of his manuscript about Graham, and I read that uh, read that through and made some suggestions to him, etc., etc. And we agreed that he would come on 3 A.W. and I'd interview him uh, about this. And uh, at the last minute, um, he pulled out. I don't know what it was, but anyway, you know, Rob. Rob pulled out, and, uh, and I, I did an editorial, and, and I didn't say that Kennedy died of AIDS. I said he died, and uh, appeared with AIDS, and I mentioned the uh, the sarcoma. Um, but Blundell didn't get any any bad vibes at all. But but um, Nolene Brown's husband uh, was a dear, one of the uh, Nolene were the closest friends of Graham Kennedy in the end because they lived in Bowral too, and I think they were looking after him. And Nolene went. Went ape about me, my even mentioning this on air that I shouldn't have done it, and uh, her husband claimed that he called 3AW before I went on air, and and complained, and it, it, that didn't get to me, and to be honest, it wouldn't have mattered. I wouldn't have stopped me doing an editorial because somebody calls up to complain about an editorial unless it's wrong in fact, and so the point, as you made your introduction, saying that well, I said he died of age, I said he didn't, and it wouldn't matter anyway. Um, but he he he. According to, I'm not trying to shaft it off, I had to make a, a, a sort of an apology. Um, 3AW forced that as well, um, but it was not a good time. People didn't want to know that sort of stuff. Mm.
0: When you when you look back on some of the things that you've done, and the, one, the first one I remember is uh, Don Dunstan's wife, uh, Adele Coe. You know, at your age now, uh, well, we all mellow as we get older. Uh, I suspect you have. I'm not
1: sure I have.
0: Uh, well, do you regret okay, Don,
1: anything? I got okay, the Don Dunstan Adele Co story. She was Don Dunstan's beautiful Malaysian wife, um, Adele Co. And uh, there were stories that Adele Coe, There were stories around in journalistic circles. Every journal I knew it. Every politician knew it in South Australia, especially, and 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 around Australia, that Adele Co., Don Dunstan's young wife, was dying of cancer. Um, major newspapers. Murdoch did a deal with Dunstan that his papers wouldn't mention it. Um, a story did appear in one of the Malaysian papers. Reuters filed a story to Australia, and every paper in Australia killed it. It didn't appear. And I made this part of the thing. I, I did do it on 3XY and said she had cancer. The, the weekend before I did the story, the Melbourne Herald ran a, a picture of a very healthy-looking Adele Coe and Don Dunstan under some bullshit PR story on page one of the... I think the Saturday Melbourne Herald, which had he just started, and the point was, I've been talking to politicians in South Australia, and liberal politicians in South Australia were going easy on, um, on Dunstan because there were savage stories appearing about his police commissioner. I think his name was Salisbury, who then went off uh, later on and became a. After he finishes commissioner, he went up to Queensland and got involved in I think that royal commission to clean up uh, the Queensland politics. But I'd heard stories that the Liberals in South Australia were going easy on Dunstan, especially on this issue with the police commissioner, because of his wife's illness. Now, I think that is wrong. A, politicians don't make deals with with people like Murdoch or Fairfax or Packer. That's not on, because there's a prid quo quo there. You have to pay back something later on. Also. None of the papers that took took after me and were so anti-me over what I'd said about Adele Coe, none of them felt bad at all about writing stories about President's wives having cancer, Betty Ford going into hospital with breast cancer, um, Teddy Kennedy's wife going into rehab because she was an alcoholic. We ran those stories quite quite happily, quite happily, but because it was it was close to home, uh, we didn't do it. And I thought, what a double standard. I mean, if you say that the the, the wives of politicians are are, are off limits, then they're all off limits. Whether it be Don Dunstan's wife or or President Ford's wife. You you can't have a double standard.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, a lot of people have um, been... uh, Well, well, uh, Catherine Andrews is on Twitter. She's blocked a lot of people on Twitter and uh, I actually was attacked because I just took a photograph of the fact that she blocked me for some reason. <laughs> and it was like I was having a go at her. No, I was just saying it was interesting that she blocked...
1: Well, that, that's, that's, but that's, that is news. If, if, well, she if, blocked if, a lot of people
0: why? at 3AW, not just me. It was, uh, But it was almost like the fact that she blocked people, it, 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 we can't even mention that, which is
1: ridiculous. That is, that is ridiculous. It really is. Look, the thing about... Uh, I'm not going to go into too far because we'll get all the anti-vaxxers already come after us. But um, the and the, the people, there's a lot of people who hate Scott Morrison. I mean, I know that and I accept that that there's a lot of people who hate him. Um, they just they do. Um, but I, I think God, if you're Prime Minister, whether you're Labour or Liberal, you can't win. I mean, he got attacked. We mentioned the other week because he got attacked because he went to Burt Newton's funeral. He would have been attacked if he didn't go to his funeral. The he's now getting, and then he got attacked because. On Remembrance Day, November 11, he went to um, an RSL in Melbourne and cooked sausages <laughs> for veterans. Now, what? What is? I don't care who you are. You, you, just go, go to a for a prime minister to go to an RSL on, dig, on Remembrance Day and eight o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, and cook sausages. That is news, you know. So, and I, I it annoys me. I don't, and I say this is not because whether the is Liberal or Labor, I don't care. Um, you know, the, and and they say he's the, the ultimate stunt man. Well, gee, I know a lot of lot of po- politicians who've done stunts. I've seen Bob Hawke drinking a beer. You've seen people doing this or yeah, doing that. Yeah. Or, you know, they've
0: all um, done it. They've all done. Tony
1: it. Abbott eating a raw onion. I mean, it's 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 part of the thing. It's it's. Not, and uh, people say to me, if I pick up on something, as we were talking the other day about some silly thing that's in an advertisement, and I say the, the grammar's wrong, I always get tweets saying. Oh, is that the biggest issue of the day? It's all you can think of, is it? You know? Yeah. And I, I write back and say, I feel sorry for you. I can actually multitask.
0: <laughs> yeah. The day before he he was, we went to the RSL, he actually went to a restaurant in Malvern called Sugo, which in Italian means sauce. And he, I see he, he, he helped make uh, a gnocchi as well. So he's, he's flicked the switch to vaudeville, which is what Keating used to yeah. say. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but they all do it. I mean, and, yeah. Well, Keating
1: did it. You know, he, I mean, he was he was very good at it. You know, I'll admit. And something I saw this uh, on Insiders the other day. I think it was. I mean, Keating, probably of all the recent, not recent, but all the politicians and prime ministers I've known, he had the most acerbic turn of phrase. In in, in question time, he was just he was merciless. You he know? could
0: destroy you. Yeah, and and, and Ed, he destroyed you know, John Houston, you know, when he said, "I'm going to do you and I'm going to do you slowly." Do you and,
1: slowly? Yeah, 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 like a like a like a dog creeping back to its vomit, you know, <laughs> looking for a spine to crawl up, you know. <laughs> uh, it's just,
0: yeah. uh, I mean, I love that stuff. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it. They thought he was arrogant. They thought he was all sorts, of, and, and and it was nasty
1: politics. But but do, do you know, this is a funny thing people, for me to say about Keating, and you may surprise you, but I know women including my ex-wife, Jackie Weaver, who thought Paul Keating was charismatic. And I can see that because many times when I meet him, he'd, he'd walk into a room and he'd own it. You know, he'd walk in there in his double-breasted uh, Zenia suits, you know, and uh, and he would just, he would own it. Um, Andrew Peacock told me the, the other politician that he felt had more charisma than anyone he'd ever met and he didn't meet John Kennedy, but he said, Bill Clinton, when he talked to you, and I guess that's why I got so many women, he would do the double hand clasp, you know, and you would think you were the only person in the room. Mm. It might be a hundred people there, but if you're holding, holding your arm and talking to you, you felt like he was totally engrossed in you and what you were saying or listening to it's
0: quite, uh, quite 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 a skill isn't it uh, yeah uh, let's move on to Molly Meldrum uh, Darren you oh. and he were quite close um, yes we
1: were with Molly and I we used to play cards every Tuesday night uh, in my uh, apartment at Grange Road in Toorak, and uh, I was broke I'd, I'd come to Melbourne with no money I my magazine had gone bust and so when I was 3x5 to 9 4 in the world and i used to play we'd play poker every tuesday night and uh molly was would usually lose which is good because i make a bit of money and this is back in 1978 you know and uh, molly on a tuesday night might lose 300 dollars in 1978 and i might get half of that
0: (laughs) That, that's that's the difference between eating and eating not very well
1: all i had to do was provide the cards and the chips and the table and i'd buy a couple of roast chickens for everyone to nibble on while they are playing. And Terry Hayes, the the, 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 the script writer and uh, just almost one of the discoverers of Nicole Kidman and uh, he wrote The Dismissal and um, Bodyline line. Didn't, didn't he write Mad Max? He wrote Mad Max, yeah. And, well, listen, Terry Hayes and George Miller, the director, are lying on the floor of my lounge room writing Mad Max. And I'd say, hey, Terry, don't do that sort of rubbish, you're never going to get that published, don't make a movie, come and play cards and take some money off Molly. And he never did, but Hayes and Hayes and George Miller would steal my beer and stuff out of the fridge and some of the chicken, and they wrote Mad Max while lying on my floor. But Molly was amazing because, I mean, it didn't matter if he lost $300 because he'd go out that Friday night and and host some sort of nightclub dj thing before djs became big deal he was the only one and he'd pick up 600 dollars for the night's work you know so it, it worked all around you know how we did you it. two
0: meet we
1: met because remember? we had a shared we had a shared man- manager his name was ray evans i used to call him honest ray and ray was molly's manager my manager renee gayer's manager um and, uh, and 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 that's how it happened. It, and at one stage uh, when, when i got sacked from 3xy and joined aw i used to go around the corner and and and, and lounge in, in ray ray and judith heaven's swimming pool in turek road and uh, so molly and i actually we got on very well together um but he, he got so upset one time because molly was very reckless he used to have heaps of people sometimes strangers would come to a uh, he'd be thrown impromptu party at his house all right and and some of them were, we, were i think we young deviants who were, you know go back and break into his house or whatever, and and steal things. And uh, I remember going to 3AW one morning and saying, oh, God, I said, Molly Meldon got his house broken into yet again. Um, and I said, uh, but anyway, I said, he's he's had a revolving door put in now, so he doesn't have to have it repaired all the time. <laughs> he called me up when I got off air in high dudgeon. His insurance company <laughs> took it for real, and they were on the phone to Molly. And... Uh, uh, it, was, it was terrible. But anyway, look, he was, he, was a, he, was, he was an amazing guy. I mean, he couldn't complete a sentence, that's for sure. He, he, I loved his bumbling interview with Prince Charles when he stumbled all over it. And, well, uh,
0: he was so nervous and he, yeah. it was recorded and he started and couldn't do it, started it, couldn't do it and Prince Charles he was sitting there in that constipated <laughs> way that you've identified, <laughs> thinking, what the hell is going on here? Uh, he was like a little kid when he met a big superstar, wasn't he? With with all yeah. sorts of people.
1: Yeah, and he was, but, but he got, he became a very dear friend of Elton John's. They had a huge falling out, which have since made up after his accident, because he, um, Molly went on air or went radio or somewhere and quoted Elton John calling Madonna, the C word, um, when it was a private conversation. And uh, that all hell broke loose, you know, uh, how the hell he survived, he, I, I know the story quite well because apart from everything else, Molly and I share the same uh, same accountant. And the accountant was around at Molly's house about a day or two before he fell. And Molly said, hey, come and look at my new spa. And Tony, Tony Powell walked around the side of the house and saw this rickety ladder going up onto the roof. And he thought, what? He said, the spa's up there. He said, oh, I'm not going up there, it's too dangerous. And he didn't. Two days later, Molly's up there by himself, topples backwards, his, his editor, or his assistant is on the phone downstairs and sees him go past the window. So she immediately is calling for help. Luckily, he either had an electrician or a tradesman of some sort at the house at the time who managed to run to his assistants and and, 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 and help, help him, help save him. Um, and then they got the ambulance there very quickly and he was taken to the hospital. But I never thought, believe it or not, I never thought Molly would, Probably not walk again, and he not speak again. And yet, he's come back amazingly. Um, he 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 ran away from nobody knows this. He ran away from the Epworth once <laughs> while well, he was in the hospital. He decided he had enough. his going home, and luckily, I think somebody found him um, uh, at a, at a cafe or Seven Eleven and guided him back to hospital. But uh, what do you, you know, think? He's, he's, s- he's a f- what do you think his skill was? Uh, Darren yeah, Well, well, his yeah. he skills—he he knew, he knew music inside out. I mean, he produced um, Russell Morris's "The Real Thing." It took hours and hours and hours, but in the end, they produced one of the greatest records that, that Australia's ever had. He—I know he was—he was, he was it wasn't Three X Y? He was producing a record for a couple of sisters whose names I've forgotten, and they spent something like sixty hours in the studio <laughs> trying to. Get this album out, you know. Um, but look, he—he he, he was look, He was harmless. He um, he related, he related to kids. I mean, Countdown was must viewing for about two generations. You know, um, it, it was it was must viewing every Sunday night.
0: Mm. Well, before him, I mean, there were there weren't that many shows on TV for. Teenagers, or no, they weren't. Well, or, or I you, come come and, and
1: that's what made it so special because it was, it was aimed at them for them. I mean, ABBA made their start in Australia, and I see now they just have another number one record all over the world. and I saw a, a, a critic say the other day that in the end, maybe another 20 years, ABBA will outsell the Beatles. They will be the biggest group in history because they've come back 30, 40 years later. And you're talking to the president of the ABBA Fan Club here from back in the 1970s um, in Australia. Uh, and they've come back with an extraordinary um, bunch of bits of music. But Molly, Molly and Countdown reached out to kids. I mean, when I was growing up in New Zealand, all the, all the TV, radio stations, we didn't have TV, were so stodgy. The morning shows were aimed at women. It was called Women's Hour. Um, on the weekends, in New Zealand, one radio station, and they are all government owned in those days, one radio station would play top 10 once a week. They never played pop music during the week, they played the top 10 once a week on a Sunday night, and that was it. Um, you never heard music, young music, you know, you heard, you had the, um, the, the hospital request session every Sunday morning, and they played things like You Will Never Grow Old for people of 70 and 80 and 90, but uh, that was it.
0: Mm.
1: Well, it, it was in a way
0: sad seeing Molly at uh, Bert Newton's funeral because he's the sort of guy that you never expected to grow old. But, uh, no, he was
1: he was a bit of a Peter Pan, wasn't he? Yeah. He,
0: he would stay young forever. Uh, Neville Ran, uh, Darren, Premier of New South Wales, uh, yes. he had that famous... Croaky voice. I remember him saying to a journal, Are you from the A B C Remember that voice that he Well he, he had only problems got, with I, his throat, I, didn't he? a lot of
1: things about he only got the croaky voice late in life and um, he um that sounds weird. He, he 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 ignored some advice I gave him. Um, both of us, Neville Ram and I around the same time, had polyps on our vocal cords. I was at three AW and had to take a couple of weeks off because I, and uh, I was advised I could have the operation, um, but it may not work. And this is what happens with polyps. Your vocal cords, just imagine like two two doors, sliding doors. They slam shut and nothing, no air gets between the two slam doors, okay? When you start to grow polyps on one of the doors, when they slam, there's still a gap between them. And so there's a sort of whispery sort of ras- raspy sort of noise comes out. Um, I was advised by, by a doctor that I could have the operation, may not work, but if I could not talk for two weeks, I could probably get rid of it. Like if I, And he made the, the analogy, if you're a wood chopper, you get calluses on your hand, right? And if you stop chopping wood, the calluses will go away. And if you stop talking, the, the, the calluses on your vocal cords will go away. Um, and the weirdest thing was that if you whisper... It's even worse than if you shout, isn't it weird? It still has the same powerful effect on your vocal cords. So I didn't talk for two weeks. I had a Dick Tracy watch that some company company gave me and I could it had a little bit of paper in it. And I would type words and the paper would chug out and I'd tear the paper off and give it to somebody, right? So that was how I lived for two weeks. I only spoke one word in two weeks. And that was a four-letter word when, I, when the handle fell off a frying pan while I was trying to cook some <laughs> eggs. I was lucky. My girlfriend at the time, when I woke up in the morning, she, her first words were not good morning. They were don't speak. You know, and as a person who spoke, I mean, it was, for a living, it was pretty hard. I reached out. I could talk on the phone because I told my friends I'll, hit, I'll knock the phone with a pencil once for yes and two for no. And that's how I communicated on the phone to people, just going tap 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 tap. Um, and it was at the time it came at a time when the first time I we were talking last we were talking about Bert Newton. It came my silence came at the first time I ever beat Bert in the ratings, and I couldn't I couldn't say anything. I remember the Herald Sun ran a, a, a picture of me sitting glumly looking at a uh, piece of paper and said "Silence is golden." <laughs> Um, you, but you, ran, you, I, I, but what I were the seven, problems Neville, with your voice, though? Like I, that, I had polyps, the right? same, same as Neville. Yeah. I, I, but how does I that display sorry.
0: itself in the sound of your voice? Well,
1: the thing is, it, it makes you, vo- A, you lose your voice a lot, as I did. Oh. Um, uh, I also abused it, I mean, I used to do change-ups to me and Bobby McGee when, when I had a few drinks and was singing, you know, which doesn't help your voice at all. You know. The da-da-da-da-da-da-da bit goes a bit crazy. But anyway, I, I got rid of mine by just not talking. And uh, I heard that, that um, Neville Rand had problems, had polyps. And I wrote to Neville, and I said to him, I said, look, don't underestimate this. It is terrible. And I explained my case, and I said, but I was advised not to have the operation because it may not be getting better. And, and, and Neville had the operation, and it didn't get better. Right. And then it was in the middle of a um, federal election, as I recall, and Neville, is, he was president of the ALP as well as being Premier of New South Wales. He went to Tasmania, and I watched him on the news, and I could see, and I thought, you ifing idiot. I could see his voice was, was gonna, gonna be damaged. And that, so then his eventual raspiness was caused by 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 you know silly treat silly non treatment he did, he just ignored the advice and uh, in the end of course he, he could barely speak um, he look never was he, he was an amazingly popular um, premier he was accused of of of, of, of a lot of things um, the abc at various times there was a there was a, uh, a scandal involving the then afl boss called i think kevin humphreys and uh, and Rand was, was sort of tainted by that, but he he he, he never he came out at it all pretty good in the end. Um, he was a very popular premier, and and it was a time when you know New South Wales was not really a Labor state, and yet he, he managed to do it, and uh, and, and 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 he was he was well liked.
0: Just uh, recently, in recent months. Uh, the ABC had a documentary about the fire that happened at the at, Lunar at, at Park. At Luna Park. Mm. And the suggestion was that uh, 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 Neville Ram was involved with, uh, who's the guy, King of the Underworld in Sydney. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah um, I I've, I've saw his name yesterday.
0: Yeah,
1: it'll come to me. Don't worry. Keep talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and uh, and uh, and that the fire was deliberately lit by some bikies. This is part of the documentary yes. that the uh, and Neville ran. Uh, and the police chief at the time who was investigating it cu- covered it up. Um, uh, so there were all of these allegations of corruption yeah, but, involving. Well,
1: I, okay, let me around. be very, very decent here and uh, and say that I'm not decent, but be cautious and say that I watched that documentary. I'd heard rumours about it when, years ago, um, and uh, I um, I wasn't surprised when they made some link between the police commissioner and the premier. I mean. We'd had a, a very crooked premier called Robert As- Robin, Robin Askin. He, when he was became Sir Robin, he changed his name to Sir Robert Askin. Um, but uh, it, there was a previous previous one. We'd had previous um, um, corrupt police commissioners. We had uh, New South Wales was probably the most corrupt police force for a while in, in all of Australia. So uh, you know. mm. now, I'm going to get nuts now in the rest of the- this chat, trying to think of the name of... Uh, of Mr. Sin, his nickname, was. yeah, Mr. Sin. Of, that's uh, that's crime, correct. You know. I, I,
0: I, we have talked about him. Abe Saffron. The, Abe don't Saffron. That's right. That's right.
1: Now, can I ask you a question? If this sort of thing comes up to you and you don't get the answer, do you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and shout the name? Yeah. <laughs> you know what happens
0: to me nowadays. I can picture someone's face hmm. clearly, and I it's someone I should know, but I just can't pick the name. I for some, and, and it's sometimes people that I know really well. Well, our old joke used to be as kids was, uh,
1: I know the face, I just can't quite pick the nose. <laughs> you, ever <laughs> gone to the fridge. We you ever
0: gone to the fridge, Darren, walked all the way to the fridge, opened the door, and then you don't know why you've gone to the fridge?
1: Actually, I haven't, but I, I, I know people who do, and we call them, well, they're called senior moments, right? Yeah. We call them Bob Rogers moments, uh, because... Bob started doing that on air. He'd uh, he's interviewed all the famous showbiz people ever, and he'd suddenly forget a name. Like I just forgot Abe Saffron's name, which and I, I've met Saffron many times. Uh, of, uh, you know, um, ironically, um, Abe Saffron was involved with um, Jeff Edelston. Jeffrey Edelston, they owned they together. Abe through through his son owned a thing in Sydney called Edel's Records, as an Edelston. Edel's Records mm. was was one of the hidden owners of Edel's Records was the king of the underworld in Sydney, Abe Saffron. And so going back, so when, when it was accused, that um, when Jeffrey Edelson was accused of hiring a hitman to uh, to kill somebody, um, didn't surprise me at all that he had those connections.
0: Mm. Tell me about a- Abe Saffron. You said he was the king of sin, uh, he, you know, he operated around... Well, he, uh, he, he, oper- he
1: operated um, um, br- illegal brothels, uh, heaps of those. Uh, I'm not sure how deep he was in the drug trade because drugs weren't weren't that public and that organised back then. But he he, he was the king of he owned Kings Cross. You know he owned the, the, the nightclubs. He owned the the, the the lay girls, which was the the, the gay um, dress up uh, uh, nightclub. He virtually he ran St Kilda. He he boasted how many cops he owned, and it turned out as it as it, as it happened that he did own cops. You know, well, he, I guess
0: if people were using illegal brothels and they were well known, he knew who they yeah. were.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right, so he could blackmail politicians who are using illegal brothels. He, he, was, he was a very wealthy man. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll clean it up, I'll tell you a funny story about Abe Saffron that I remember from way back in the old days and think how prudish we all were. He was, he was one, he used to throw these parties with the hookers he, he had hired in the brothels. He, I, think he had, I think he had some palatial rented or owned North Shore mansion. And uh, he'd invite famous people and infamous people and, and hookers for parties. And apparently one of his, um, one of his uh, party tricks, like we heard the story that Frank Sinatra once ate bacon and eggs off a lady's naked chest, but uh, Abe Saffron, supposedly, he was charged with indecent behaviour for um, eating raw oysters um, from a, a lady's private parts.
0: <laughs> right? What, they charged him because of that? They, they charged
1: him with indecent behaviour. The A very clever um, Sydney Morning Herald journalist, reporting on the court case, said, Mr Saffron appeared in court today wearing an oyster grey suit. <laughs> <laughs> that was forty years ago. I've never forgotten the line. I was sitting reading it in the papers. Oh, you clever bastard, Denny! The sub editor didn't pick up on it, and he got away with it. Yeah, Mr. Saffron appeared in court today wearing an oyster grey suit.
0: As you were talking, I'm, I'm thinking of, of uh, Rene Rivkin, who used to hang around um, yeah. King's Cross. So he, he's the guy that had the the worry beads, uh, yeah. and it uh, was Combaloy. What's that? Comboloid, worry beads. Is that what they are, Comboloy?
1: Yeah, I, I used to flick a beer, uh, set them around all the time, yeah.
0: Um, uh, but, yeah, Rene Rivkin uh, took his own life, had a troubled life at the end, but for a years there, whenever there was anything to do with the share market, he was the go-to guy for the media. Oh yeah, Rene
1: Rivkin, he was there, that's right, yeah. He, um, he, what do you had know had about had him? Oh, not much. He, he, only from a distance. He had a penchant for young men, um, and he, he had a tribe of them around him. He used to flash his, splash his money around, around quite a lot. And then, of course, he was a good friend of, his, of Packers um, too, Kerry. Packer. Yes, he was. And then one of his, one of his offsiders, um his name was Wood, was accused and uh, charged of um, with throwing his girlfriend off off the cliff, off the gap. Yeah, blond headed um, guy. Yes,
0: yeah, off- and uh, he
1: was, he, he um, and 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 he was. And Rifkin was almost like part of his alibi and, and stuff like that. Now I didn't know much about him, so you know, let's move on to somebody else. Give me somebody else. Hit uh, me.
0: all right. Well, uh, well, well, Henry Bolty. What, what, what do you, what do you know about Henry bef, Bolte?
1: Virtually bef, bef, before my time, um, he was. He was known, of course, as, as the hanging premier uh, because of the, uh, the the death of Ronald Ryan, um, the hanging of Ronald Ryan. Um, but Bolty was from that era where. I mean, cabinets didn't matter. The premier was the premier, and he ran the place, and, and, and that was it. And he uh, he he ran Victoria, and uh, there was a, a, of course a um, a good scandal about Henry Bolte in the old in, in the late latter years after he retired as premier, living in the country, and he was involved in a car accident, and the the, the inference, the allegation was that he was pissed at the time when he had this accident, and. His blood sample went missing from the hospital and was never found again.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: yeah. Country it's, hospital. Tr- true story the uh, he was he was he was he had a car crash he was taken to hospital he was blood tested and the, the the blood sample the urine sample disappeared and was never ever found again and he was never ever charged. I tell you another premier story um, John Kane uh, the man whom, not original, man whom Barry Humphrey says looks like he spent too long lying face down on a chenille bedspread. <laughs> he did, he did which if do. you're old enough to know, a chenille bedspread is covered in lines and lumps and things. Yeah. Anyway, I was at a, um, a function at Parliament House when he was Premier and Jackie Weaver was invited because she was on the Australia Council, the Australia Day Council that awarded Australia of the Year. And I went to this function as her handbag, which I was quite happy to do. And at this function, John Kane, whom I didn't know very well um, I'd interview him on radio, of course but he poked me in the chest with his finger, with his forefinger, and he said, "Just remember, you're going to jail. Remember your priors. You're going to jail." And that was my extent of my conversation with the premier. And he was right. <laughs> didn't that
0: shake you up at
1: all? No, no, I just just accepted it. Mm. I, I see. Actually, the, the, the former premier, Mr. Gobbo, died recently. A Victorian governor,
0: yeah, James. Uh, James Gobbo. governor, I premier, didn't you? Yeah. governor,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I knew him quite well because he's the one who sent me to jail on one occasion. You know?
0: James Gobbo. He, he was the judge, was he? Yeah, he
1: was a judge. Yeah, he oh, sent me to jail? Oh, right. And and I heard from the from the Australian Club. After I was jailed, he was at the club having lunch and his mates were patting my back saying, good show, chap, good show, you showed him, you got him. You know? Oh, right. So he was well, basking in the fact that he'd sent Hinch to jail.
0: Well, I did an interview about him on Italian radio the other day because oh. he's of Italian background. He comes from uh, uh, the Veneto region. Uh, I know quite a bit. I I interviewed him, actually, because he wrote a book about 10 years ago about his life uh, as a lawyer and then a Supreme Court judge. I didn't know. He was the Supreme Court judge that sent you to jail the first time, was it?
1: Um, Yes, and uh, and sitting in the back of the courtroom were Lindy and Michael Chamberlain trying to check out my QC to see how good he was. Right. <laughs> Celebrity trial. But, and, of course, his niece is the woman who's causing so much trouble still uh, in, the, um, in, in the courts and, and with the legal system. That's right. That's his niece. Nic-
0: Nicola Gobbo was lawyer of course, the,
1: the, the, his side of the family disowned her a long time ago, understandably, but uh, that's the family connection. Well, yeah.
0: Gobbo was the Victorian governor uh, appointed, I think, by John, uh, by Jeff Kennett. Mm -hmm. When he became uh, premier, I went to a Neil Diamond concert uh, about maybe 15, 20 years ago, and I was sitting on the side. The front row was Jeff Kennett, Felicity, James Gobbo, his wife, Ron Walker, his wife and Robert De Crepney, whatever his name is, he was head of one of the mining companies and his wife, and a few other of Melbourne's elite, all in the front <laughs> row watching uh, Neil Diamond. So so they obviously socialised uh, together.
1: Well, they must have, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Jeff Kennett was Premier when he threw that amazing exclusive cocktail party for the Rolling Stones, right? And uh, I was invited, and uh, Jackie was the ultimate Rolling Stones fan, okay? So we go to the Rolling Stones uh, cocktail party. It was a lovely party, a very fairly exclusive, but there we were. And I engineered to have a photo taken with me and Jackie and Mick Jagger. There's Jagger, next to him is Jackie, and then there's me. And for a birthday present that shows your true love, I had the photo blown up to about four feet by four feet and had me cut out of it. <laughs> So it was just Mick Jagger and Jackie Weaver. So.
0: <laughs> you didn't leave a little finger there for yourself?
1: Actually, there is There is a touch you know there's somebody else there. There's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a, I can't remember what it was now. There's a little hint that there was somebody else standing next to to, to them. But I, I wasn't a Rolling Stones fan. I was a Beatles fan. And, and I was told by Jackie that, Bad girls love the Rolling Stones, good girls love the Beatles. And was, she, but,
0: was, did, was she happy when she met him? Did, did, did he meet oh, she, her she, expectations? Oh,
1: she, 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 yes, yeah, she, she loved it, she loved it. But she took me and we went to um, that um, Voodoo Lounge tour, I think it was called, at the MCG. I've never seen, I haven't seen footballers as fit as Mick Jagger was. He must have run across that huge stage from one sideline to the other at the MCG 50 times. And he was singing while he was doing it. It was, the most incre- it was a fantastic concert. I, I loved it, you know. Mm. And, well. and once, funny enough, a, a trivial thing about Rolling Stones, they've now stopped singing Brown Sugar because of its connotations about you know, exploiting slavery and, and black women. I once, as a journalist in New York, they're about to start an uh, American tour and their first night was at Madison Square Garden. So I walked down, they're gonna pier outside for a bit of a gimmick, a PR thing. I walked down, I'm standing alongside this flatbed truck with a lot of other people, and there's Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones on the back of a truck outside Madison Square Garden singing brown sugar.
0: Mm. It was amazing. Iconic. I used that Ooh. word again. There you go. Iconic. There you go. Mr. Hinch, your memories are unbelievable. The people you've met is uh, just uh, fascinating. You've had a uh, life that only people could uh, people could only dream <laughs> about. Uh, we're going to continue this next time. Uh, hey, have you
1: know, a, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I like. We should do these every few weeks. Yeah. I like them. Well, there's a long. I never know where they. Go- I never know where they're going, and I don't ask you who you're going to ask me about. Yeah, well. and
0: of course, if you don't know who I'm talking about, we just move on. <laughs> move on to yes, the yes, next I'll tell one. You, yeah. Uh, you've been in sydney by the way um yeah uh, so you're you're coming back i'm I'm coming back yes have you found sydney um as
1: soon as i hang up here i'm I'm, I'm coming i'm getting on a plane i um i'm I'm encouraged by the fact that a lot of people are wearing masks up here i'm encouraged by the fact that every time i've gone to a restaurant or a bar they've asked me to um Clock in and check in and prove that I'm, I'm clean, and produce my vaccination certificate. It happens every restaurant, every bar, every place, and I'm thrilled by that. And there'd be I, no I problems. It is good. I just I just spent nearly a, a week in Port Stephens. Uh, I was up there personally and professionally. I um, I've just finished doing something I hadn't done before, and that's I've recorded an audio version of my new book, Coping, and. It, boy, it's hard work. We've got eleven hours in the can, you know. And oh, it's eleven hours
0: the, of reading solid too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh,
1: and the tension because if you make a mistake, oh, I'll say again, and I'll back up a sentence, or the producer reading it, the editor reading it as we speak, will say again because you do pop sometimes when you speak or you swallow, or you do, and you've got to eliminate all those little failures, even though. Even the page turning, they don't like to hear, which I thought would make it more authentic. But no, they have very strict rules on how you do it, when you do it, what you do. So,
0: And, and of course, sometimes you just fuck it up.
1: <laughs> <I can> use <laughs> and that and also, because you write yourself, sometimes I think, God, I've this is a boring sentence It crossed my mind you know and I wrote it and I think God you've mentioned COVID-19 too many times and this is wrong and and I found a couple of typos which really pissed me off you know
0: so when does the audio version come out
1: I won't be It'll take I think the it'll have to take about four or five weeks so it probably won't come out and before, before I, I January, love
0: listening I to audio book you, you, you can lose yourself
1: I never do I mean I didn't even listen to our own podcast so I'm sick of my own hearing my own voice So <laughs> I, I've never heard a, I've never heard an audio book not, not, I always used to, I did, said a terrible thing once years ago. I saw somebody, Helen Garner, the author, and wrote a piece about me for the National Times. And she, arrogantly, she, well, she, well she, I was, she wasn't. She said to me, so what are you reading at the moment? What books are you reading? And this is the author of Monkey Grip. And I said to her, if I've got time to read a book, I've got time to write one. <laughs> <That's>, I will <only laughs> On read... that arrogant note, I'll let you go. All
0: right, Darren, all the best. We'll see you next Talk week. To you, mate. Ciao.